During Advent, we were reminded by the angels that Jesus was coming. In fact, we weren't just reminded by angels, we were reminded by hosts of angels, maybe thousands of angels. And we celebrate that in our Christmas songs, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Angels We Have Heard on High, Angels from the Realms of Glory. But this morning, we're going to focus on another introduction, probably even more important than Jesus coming as a baby. It's the introduction of Jesus' public ministry. It's the introduction to tell us why he came to this world. What is it that he came to do? Why was that first coming so important? What is it that he was going to do for you and me? Well, as I thought about songs that celebrate this second announcement, I could only come up with one. Does anyone recognize a change in lyrics? Raise your hand if you do. What word did I tell you to change? Lamb. Lamb. The original says, prepare you the way of the Lord. And indeed, that's what John the Baptist came to do, make way for the way of the Lord. But when he actually introduced Jesus, look in verse 29. If you open your Bibles or turn on your hand device to John chapter 1. The scripture that Sky read for us. If you look at verse 29, here's what John the Baptist actually said when he introduced our Lord. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. We've sung about it this morning. Angela mentioned it in her children's sermon. What does it mean that he was in? introduced as the Lamb of God. Well, this morning we're going to discover at least four meanings of what it meant to be the Lamb of God. We're going to look at four understandings of what it meant to be the Lamb of God. But before we jump into that, let's do a little background. First, a little background in John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. You remember that story? An older couple, past the years of childbirth, miraculously had a son, and it was going to be John the Baptist, the herald of Jesus. And Zechariah was a priest, you remember that? And he served in Jerusalem, and he served in the temple, and he served in the altar. And so, as a son of a priest, son of Aaron's line, that made you a priest. You could serve as a priest. John the Baptist was a priest, we often don't remember that or think about that, but John the Baptist was a priest. And the priest, remember Zechariah was in Jerusalem, serving at the temple, at the altar? Where was John the Baptist? Out in the wilderness. All by himself. In the middle of nowhere, wearing rugged clothes and living off the land and baptizing people. Now, I did not realize how scandalous this was until I studied for this text. He was baptizing Jews. You don't baptize Jews. 
Jews are already in God's new covenant. They have the sign of circumcision. They're already in the family. You know the only people you baptize are Gentiles. You only baptize Gentiles to get them into the family. But here's this guy, this priest, renegade priest, out in the middle of nowhere baptizing Jews. What's he up to? Does he think he's the Messiah? Does he think he's a great prophet? So the concerned leaders in Jerusalem send delegates, and we read about it, and I'm going to read it again for you, starting in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He said, no. So they said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us back in Jerusalem. And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So now we have this background. We know who John the Baptist is. We know why he came to announce the coming, what Jesus' work in this world was to be. And so the stage is set, and look in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, again, I told you we're going to look at four different understandings of what it means to be a lamb. We're actually going to look at four different architectural features or appointments in this sanctuary. As a longtime member of this church, I can go back and remember all the deliberations and why we did what we did. And so I sit here each Sunday kind of enjoying understanding some of the things going on in the sanctuary, some of the messages that we're supposed to get from the architecture and the appointments. But I want, especially for our new people, to know what I'm looking at and thinking as I look around the sanctuary. So four understandings of the Lamb, four architectural features, leading us to four truths about our God and Savior. And finally, and most importantly, what are you going to do about it? Gene, you think you're going to do that in the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes? Well, we got a um, four by four in your bulletins. Pull it out. And uh, if you have it there, I think that's the only way you're going to keep score, um, keep track of what's going on. So you see that we have the four kinds of lambs, the four architectural features, the four truths about Jesus, and what you can do about it. So pull it out. Get yourself a pen. There's some pew pens there, or share one. And see if you can't follow along with us. I need one other job you need to do is you need to find a partner. So if you're sitting just with somebody, that's pretty easy. But you're going to need a partner, so get a partner right now so we don't have to stop for this in the middle of the service here. Got a partner, everybody got a partner. Just need one person. If there's three of you, that'll work. But if there's four, you got two groups of two. Okay, are you ready to, to get into this this morning? Well, the first thing and the first kind of lamb is talked about in the verse I just read. If you go on in that verse, it says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The first lamb is the sacrificial lamb. Is the sacrificial lamb. And this lamb has been pictured in the Bible since Genesis. Abel, the first family, the son of the first family, made a sacrifice of an animal for his sins. The people of Israel throughout the Old Testament made a sacrifice of a lamb for the sins of the people. That lamb was sacrificed in the morning, and another one was sacrificed at night. And another one the next morning, and another one the next night. Continually, the sacrifice for the sins of the people. 
There was a sacrificial lamb that was needed to atone for the sins of the people. But you see what John the Baptist is saying here? This is the lamb. This is the lamb. No lambs will ever have to be sacrificed again. All those lambs look forward to this one. The communion we're going to take this morning looks back to this one. This was the lamb. And how do we remember that every time we come into this service? What do I look at every Sunday morning? The place where that lamb was sacrificed. The cross. For one time. For you. For me. And the truth that is for us is he is our savior. He is our savior. The sacrificial lamb who died on the cross became your and my savior. Now, that's only true if you heard what Angela said, if you give him your heart, if you've done that. I look back uh, as I was a child and I was nurtured in the church and I, I was starting to learn what that meant and I, I remember kind of saying some childish prayers and I think sometimes I was more scared of hell than I understood what Jesus had done for me, but I had gone back and forth. In fact, in my childish theology, I was really worried because I thought if you prayed once to get in, if you prayed again, did you get out? And I was trying to count up the times, was I in or out? And now that, that's very childlike, but I was, I was learning. I was understanding what it meant. I was understanding what God's call is, and that's why we teach it to our children. But I can tell you very distinctly, when I was 14, the summer after my eighth grade year, ready to go to high school, I was at a summer camp, and heard a message, and I walked out into the night, in the night sky, and I remember it was one of those clear nights, just saw stars out in the north woods. And I finally asked myself, am I going to give my heart to Jesus? Is he going to be my ruler? Am he going to run my life? I knew what he had done for me. I knew that he was the lamb. I knew he had sacrificed for me, but was I going to give my life back to him in exchange? And so from that point on, I knew without a doubt I was his and he was mine. I want to ask you, when can you point back? Now, it might not be a day like that, but it could be a time or an era, or, or maybe from being up here, you never even doubted it. You didn't have to do my little theological questioning. You, you knew. Was it as a child? Was it as an adolescent? Was it a teenager? Was it as a young adult? Was it as an adult? I want you to write that down on your sheet. Maybe you can write the day. I, can, I can't write the day, but I can tell you August 1967. Go ahead and put it on your sheet because I have a reason for doing that. Now, turn to your buddy and tell him when it was. Don't have to tell the story, but just tell him when it was. Go ahead. I'm doing this for a couple reasons. One is the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You get a chance in this service to say, hey, I am redeemed. I can even tell you when. Also, I'm kind of challenging you if you can't. Angela also asked us a question this morning. Do we know for sure? And if we don't, we need to talk to someone. Angela invited you to talk to her. I'm inviting you to talk to me or talk to any believer you know. How does this take place? How do I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is my Savior? The second lamb, 
we're going to look at this morning is probably the most famous lamb in the Bible. It's the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. Do you remember the story from Exodus 12? It was the final plague in Egypt to free the people of Israel. And God was going to send a death angel. And it was going to, the firstborn in every home was going to die. And this would be true for the Israelites too, unless they had a Passover lamb sacrificed. They'd sacrifice the lamb, they would eat from that lamb, they would eat the, um, the cooked meat of the lamb and also unleavened bread. And they put some blood on the doorposts. And that blood on the doorposts, when that death angel came over, it passed over. They were protected. They were protected by God, their father. They were protected. The Passover lamb is your protection. I think about God, how God has protected me in my life. And there's a picture in this sanctuary that talks about that protection. I don't know if you see it, but this stained glass used to be in those doors and windows to the side of Peterson Hall. We used to worship in Peterson Hall and we worship facing the east and we'd be looking at this glass. When we came in, we brought this glass here and now we worship, now we worship to the east. And it's not just a 1970s uh, modern art piece, as it might appear. But right here is the world. That is the world. In fact, when we first moved it in here, we only had a two-by-four, so it looked like the egg. So we actually redid it and pushed it out so that it would be like the original doors. That is the earth. Do you see what's around the earth? Two hands. God has the whole world in his hands. There's nothing that can happen to you outside the will of God. There's nothing that can touch you that God doesn't allow. God is your protection. I think of a couple stories in my life of God's protection. Some of you know about my wrist. I, I have a cut here that goes this way through my wrist all the way down to here from the top down here and it cut these two finger tendons off. It was a um, race from the church door out to the sidewalk and back. I was in fourth grade. My competition was a seventh grade girl. <laughs> she was beating me. But if you know anything about my personality, she started slowing down for the building. My chance. I sped up right into the building into a plate glass window and when I ripped my hand out, I looked down and I saw all the tendons. Now, I have to tell you something. The cut was this way, not this way. If that cut was this way, I'd have a hand like this today. In 1964, they didn't have the um, orthopedics they have today. What they were able to do was put back those last two, tie these back up, but they... They don't really do much. <laughs> okay, but think about this a minute. God was in control. You know what I can do? I can throw a baseball. I could throw a football. I could shoot a basketball. I led the league in scoring in basketball because God saved my hand. He said, this far and no farther. Is God good? God is great. I have one other experience that is even probably more dramatic than that. I was in a hurry going down Roosevelt Road, and some of you know where Fabian crosses Roosevelt Road, big four lanes. 
And I was in a hurry. So I pulled in the two lanes next to me, I pulled into the first lane waiting for this second lane traffic to, to end. Because I had looked ahead and in, I had decided that this big semi coming had put on its blinkers to turn left. So it put on its blinkers. I even saw it change gears. You know how a truck jumps when it changes gears? So it changed gears, put on the left. It was going to go that way and I was going to go this way. And as I pulled in that intersection, I know I was frozen there, stuck, because I couldn't go ahead. I realized what he had done was he had shifted to go faster. He had shifted the past the slow cars so he could blow through that intersection. And I saw him coming at me. He hit his brakes. The, track, the jackknife, the cab went sideways, started jumping on those wheels, and it jumped and jumped and stopped right this far from my car. We pulled off, talked about the accident. He said, if I had been full, I would have blown through you. I was empty. I wouldn't be here this morning. Is God my protector? Does God protect me in ways I don't even realize? Do I say thank you? Do I appreciate that God has my life in his hands? Now let me tell you one more story. Story of Corey Tenboom. How many remember Corey Tenboom? Been a few years. Her and her sister during World War II took in Jews to hide them from the Nazis. They were discovered. They were put in a concentration camp. Corey and her sister tried to hold on to their faith and prayed and, and, and were trying to understand how this was going to all come out. And, and then Corey said that toward the end of the war, she had this epiphany. She knew that her and her sisters were going to get out. She just knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, God told her, hang on, you're going to get out. Both you and your sister are going to get out. And sure enough, within a matter of weeks, she was freed. But her sister had died. She struggled with that. God, you promised that we'd be out, we'd be free. And then a call sudden occurred to her. Her daughter, her sister was more free than she was. Her sister was with the king. Her sister was in eternal joy and bliss and happiness. God had kept his promise. It's not always the way we think. So sometimes God's protection means you do get a cut arm. Or you do get in an accident. Or you even go home to be with your Savior. But it's not without his protection. Without his, being in his will for your good to all those who love him. So I ask you. God is our protector. This is the truth we need to believe. When in the past has God protected you? We need to tell that story. We need to thank God for the times that he's healed and helped and, and responded to our prayers. I also ask you another question here on the sheet. What are you worried about in the future? What do you think God may fail to protect you from in the future? I'll tell you what. I've been thinking about lately, someone of my age, am I going to have enough years? Am I going to have enough time to pass my faith on to my grandkids? The little guy I just picked up here this morning. Will I be able to share my faith with him? Are there things that I need to be about and get to do? Do I need to fear that? God's taking care of me. I'll be here just as long as he wants me to. I'll get done what he needs me to do. If I'm responsive, if I respond and thank him and praise him and understand that he is my protector.
What do you need to trust God for? What fears might you have at work, at school, in relationships that you need to give God this morning? He is your protector. He is your Passover lamb. The third lamb we're going to talk about is the obedient lamb. John loved... uh, John the Baptist loved Isaiah and spoke from Isaiah already in the passage, but if you go to Isaiah 53, we read this in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers silent. He opened not his mouth. Jesus was the obedient lamb. He came to do the work of his father. That's why he came to earth. And when he stood before Pilate, he didn't say anything. He was there to do God's work, not answer Pilate's questions. He was the obedient lamb. He was an example to us of what obedience can look like. He came to serve, not to be served. That's why our Savior came. Now, there's a very subtle architectural feature that um, if I had time, actually I thought about this yesterday, but I realized the sermon would be too long. I was going to invite you all to go to the wall around this sanctuary. In fact, I knew some people would have trouble getting to the wall, so I dragged all these bricks from outdoors to hand them to you personally, but at least I have one here. If you would go to the wall and look at the wall, and you probably can do it right now, even though some at this kind of distance might look alike, you'll find no two bricks alike. Every brick is different. There's no two bricks alike. In fact, some are burned. Some got burned in the kiln. That's why you see the black. Some are discolored. Some are chipped. You'll find all sorts of um, weaknesses in the brick, or, or defects, rather, in the brick. You know what these bricks are, what they call them? Clinker bricks, the ones they threw away. The ones that wouldn't make the beautiful pink wall, the uniform, have all the same color. These were the bricks that were thrown away. You know why they chose to build this church with these bricks? Because they represent you and me. We're all clinker bricks. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have our imperfections. We all have our defects. But you know, when we come together, we can build a church. These guys have been here for 50 years, holding up this church with all their defects and all their imperfections and all their stains because they responded to the builder and placed where he placed them. This is an example to us. When I come in here, this is what makes it. Without you being here this morning, there wouldn't be a church. You're here and building this church just like these bricks in this wall because we need to respond to what God asks us to do. If it's to serve in a wall, be in the wall. If it's to serve as a chair, be a good chair. And as people, where can we serve? I was here yesterday I'm getting ready for the service today, and Tom Bonk was here. You know what he was doing? He was loading all the supplies for coffee, tea, hot chocolate, cups. He, he excitedly told me he has cups with lids that actually fit. 
so the kids won't spill the hot chocolate and they can enjoy that. You know, it was here this morning early, our servers putting together communion. You know who's downstairs right now? Young children in worship and our nursery workers. Who was here during Sunday school? Here, all the ways we'll hear from the choir in a little bit. All of you that are in community groups, you show hospitality and you bring meals and you call and you pray and you serve in the church. We all have a role to serve in the church. We also have a role to serve in the world. Who are our non-Christian friends and neighbors, the people we rub elbows with that need to see the love of Jesus? I have a box here that you can fill in. Just fill in where you're serving in the church or where you could serve in the church. The prayer ministry and the life of the church, how you can, through your stewardship, so many ways to be part of the wall that builds this church. And then if someone comes to mind that needs the love of Jesus, how can you share and serve others? How could you show the love of Jesus to that person? We have the sacrificial lamb. We have the Passover lamb. We have the obedient lamb. This last one is, probably doesn't come easily to mind. It's the conquering lamb. It's the conquering lamb. It might not be in our, our um, understanding as we think about lambs and read through the Psalms, but it might have been in John the Baptist's mind. Because in the intertestamental period, this was a time of great upheaval. In fact, the Jewish people actually threw over their impressors before the Romans took over. Judas Maccabees freed the Jews. And Judas Maccabees' symbol was the conquering lamb, the lamb with the horns, the ram. Judas Maccabees, you can be the leader, you can be the king. But we do see that in our Bible. 29 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the lamb on the throne. He is our king. We sang about it in our opening songs this morning. Glory, glory, glory to the Lamb who sits on the throne. Where do we see this in our sanctuary? What color are God's hands? Purple. Royal. He's not just a benevolent force. He's the king of the universe. And that's the truth that we see in the conquering Lamb. That he is our king. As we look up here, we realize that he is in charge of everything. I have a good friend that uh, has been part of our family for probably the last 40 years, single woman, who is just a wonderful part of our extended family. And we'll talk every once in a while, and as all families have, uh, we have crises, we have uh, interesting situations, and we'll talk about them, about how is this ever going to get solved? How are we ever going to get through this? How is this ever going to get clarified? I don't know if you have those kind of questions ever in your families or extended families. And then she says this. This movie turns out. If you ever watch a classic movie and the hero is in trouble and you don't know how they're going to get out. In fact, they always get me on this. You know, he, you know he looks dead or he looks gone or lost or free. You know that they can't sell tickets if this guy doesn't come back. <laughs> the movie turns out. But even more miraculous than movies turning out is that God 
tells us that everything will turn out. It will all turn out for his will and his glory and your joy. He is the king. He is the king. And he's reminding us this morning and asking us, where do we need to trust and obey him? Maybe it was in one of the other lambs. Maybe you need to trust and obey him as your savior. Maybe you need to trust and obey him as your protector. Maybe you need to trust and obey him to serve and put yourself out there and try something and, and, and make an effort to maybe reach out to a neighbor or a friend or someone who needs to hear Jesus' love. Where do you need to trust and obey this morning? I'm going to close with a time of prayer and we're going to have a time of silent prayer at first and then I'll close. But ask yourself, these four lambs, Behold, the Lamb of God, your sacrificial lamb, your Passover lamb, your obedient lamb, and your conquering lamb. How can you respond this morning? Let's pray.